There are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to accept what is true. Soren Kierkegaard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets of Saturn. I am your host, Jason Lindgren. On this episode, we have Kyle Marsh. He is a Colorado resident and active in all things cannabis. We also have Russell Blackberg joining us, who is also a cannabis activist. All right, Kyle, let's uh, let's start from your beginning. What is your story? What is my story? Well, um, I'm a cannabis activist living here in Denver, Colorado, and uh, I made a movie called Vitamin Cannabis, which you can watch for free online, um, and it's about my continuation of the Rick Simpson Phoenix Tears story um, because it turned out uh, as you know, and as people are reading about all over the world, he was right. And cannabis is a cure for numerous ailments, numerous diseases. We're really not even debating anymore about whether it does cure it. We're debating about which cannabinoids over what time frame and what amounts. And it's been an amazing ride to get here. Um, but I definitely uh, maybe like to go back to the beginning if we if we could. Why not? Absolutely. All right. Well, I, I sent you that photo, Jason, of me and Governor Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper shaking hands right after he signed the bill that legalized industrial hemp uh, throughout our great state. Um, that's despite federal law, so I'm um, not quite sure how that was allowed to happen, but um, <laughs> so it crazy. did happen. And I, 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 for some reason, call it karma or whatever you want. I, I'm not a rich man. I deliver pizzas. Uh, you know, I got three kids. Uh, I just try and live my life. Um, I've, I've been a pot activist for sure, but a lot of that has been showing up. But how did I end up being the only cameraman in the governor's office when he signs a document that's as important as hemp legalization? That story, I'm shocked, isn't out there and isn't being widely spread then we absolutely need to get that out there. Yeah, sorry. I, I get a little excited talking about it still to this day, but maybe we should go back uh, to the uh, the first time that I ever saw marijuana. Um, I don't know about you guys, but around what age did you see marijuana for the first time? I, I started smoking when I was 14. Well, I'm a musician, so I've seen it for a long time. You've seen it for a long time, okay. Well, like Russ, um, I was 14 when I first uh, snuck out of my house uh, one summer <laughs> night and uh, went up and met up with some friends who, uh, unbeknownst to me, decided they were going to crinkle up a soda can and make a little aluminum pipe and <laughs> oh, smoke God. some of this marijuana that they had uh, uh, borrowed from their older brother's stash, I think is what it was. Now... I went to Christian school, so of course it was a plant, so that was like, well, God gave us the seed-bearing trees, so I'm not opposed to this plant, but I've heard some bad things about uh, marijuana from the D.A.R.E. program, and, and so maybe I don't want to try this, but I do want to see what it does to these kids, so I watched my friends uh, toke up and underneath a bridge at Sand Creek Elementary in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, which that school will come back to play a part in our story <laughs> much, much, much later on. But uh, I was 14, and the kids just giggled, and they, I mean, they were 13 and 14, too. 
Um, they were uh, totally fine. I didn't notice them immediately bloodlusting or wanting to cause <laughs> violence. <laughs> Reef of Madness uh, style, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, it, they didn't immediately start going and robbing things. And In fact, all we did was sit underneath that stupid bridge and smoke that. They smoked it, I watched. And then for two hours, we played on a playground, not meant for our age group. And then we went home. So... I didn't see anything negative when I watched them. And about a week later, my best friends, my really good friends from school, I was a freshman in, in high school at this point, uh, they had also mentioned to me that, hey, we should smoke some, some pot sometime. And I told them, I said, that's cool, but, you know, I don't know what it's going to do to me, so I want to do it at one of your houses, if that's all right, so that if, you know, my mom comes down, I don't have to explain what I'm doing and not... You know how that is, right? You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. God. So, really... <laughs> it, and it, when you're a teenager and it's, uh, it's brand new, um, we went down into my friend's uh, basement when his parents weren't there, and we smoked it in his basement window. <clears throat> and I remember us playing Sega Saturn Virtua Fighter for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> and eating onions and sweet tarts. And uh, we actually at one point felt so connected to, I think we were playing Street Fighter as well, to the characters that we went outside and we're doing Hadouken to each other and, you know, all the special moves and stuff. And I just remember it being a wonderful first experience uh, smoking. And I immediately fell in love with the plant. And I guess you could say I, I was a pothead from about that moment. Uh, on. So the the flip side of that is that some of my other friends were drinking alcohol um, during their party times, because no matter what, you're a teenager, you're going to do something. You know, even if that's going to concerts or, or, or skiing or jumping off of cliffs into water, whatever it is, you're going to do something a little rebellious that maybe the 40-year-old version of you is going to look back on and say, that's crazy. Well, for me, my friends that were on alcohol were the ones that were getting into the most trouble. They were the ones that were getting busted because the alcohol would make you so stupid that you wouldn't realize, hey, the, the cops are rolling up onto this park right now. If you're a stoner, you see those lights, you're looking for that stuff from a mile away. You know, you got the paranoia going. Um, but I, I just saw that I was fine smoking pot and going to school all the time, never any problems. But my friends that were into alcohol, um, over time, we slowly weren't as good of friends because their lives took a different path and a different trajectory than mine was. So all through high school, I smoked pot. And then when I got out of, out of high school, I said, well, I want to be an activist. You know, I want to change the world. I want to do something good. And, uh, I started off doing some organ and tissue donation. Um, I worked on the monorail campaign that ultimately failed here in Colorado to build a monorail from Denver to the ski resorts, um, which now, looking at the population boom in Colorado, the monorail would have been a fantastic idea. <laughs> um, but uh, ultimately, everyone kept saying, when you're 21, you're going to go into a bar you're going to drink, and you're going to love it, and you're going to forget all about this pot stuff. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm smoking marijuana every night, and I actually, uh, it, it's not always accessible, so I learned I had to go to a park sometimes to buy it, and 
And, I, you know, you're, you're 19 years old, 20 years old, going to a shady park doing deals where they're putting the mota underneath the leaves, and you pay a guy 10 bucks and he points to a pile of leaves and says your pot's under there, and then you go pick it up, and sure enough, your pot's under there. <laughs> a little little tiny cigarette cellophane underneath a bag of leaves. Awesome. But, I mean, and that's Denver City Park. Like, not that long ago, that marketplace still existed, but... Um, so long, long, longer story short, I, I turned 21 and I'm going into this bar and the first time I get to a bar, I pay eight fifty for a dark Guinness with foam up to, you know, and it, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be good. I take one sip. I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever had in my life. I can't, you could give me a hot dog, a bratwurst or whatever. There's no way I'm drinking this. Like I cannot drink it. And I felt stupid because I just wasted 10 bucks, and it was like, oh, I'll, I'll take a Mike's Hard Lemonade or something a little sweeter or maybe not a little, you know, alcoholic, uh, alcoholy. But it, it turned out later in life I would really like Jaeger, but that, well, that was a problem too. So I, I just realized, like, hey, all these people that told me I was going to love alcohol, they were full of shit. They were lying through their teeth. And I hated it. And not only that, but even if I could successfully get drunk, then there's the whole problem of driving home. And all my friends were getting DUIs. And I had a buddy that was like two weeks away from going to the Peace Corps. And he got a DUI coming out of a parking lot. And all of a sudden, the Peace Corps didn't want him anymore. It's like, are you fucking serious? Like, this is the system that we have in place where I can legally go get fucking wasted drunk but I can't smoke a joint in the privacy of my own home, you know? So for me, it was a spiritual issue that it was a plant, and God gave us this plant, so you better not tell me that I can't use it because God gave it to me, and unless you know more than God, you know, and then if you're claiming that, I probably don't want to talk to you anyway, but (laughs) whole host of that. But then the actual product itself I don't enjoy, and I totally respect people that do there's microbreweries in denver i love the fact that people are into it i am not against alcohol in any way it was just for me looking at it from a moral ethical spiritual even societal standpoint it was ludicrous that this was illegal and that alcohol was totally fine so I turned 21 and nothing changed. I wanted to smoke pot every night. I wanted to smoke pot with my friends. I wanted the bullshit of having to buy it in the park to stop. So I said, all right, well, enough of these environmental things uh, and enough of the other activists. I'm going to focus solely in on marijuana legalization, and I'm going to dedicate my life to making sure that pot is legal and ultimately that I can walk into a store and buy it and walk out of that store and drive home and use it without any repercussions to me. Now, in 2015 in Denver, Colorado, I realize I am sitting in one of the very few places in the world where I can legally do that. And damn, I am proud of that. Damn, that is awesome. But holy shit, how was it illegal for 70 years And how are we all of a sudden now just like, oh, yeah, it is medicine, by the way. And, uh, yeah, we might have been wrong about all this. It it just goes that there might be something deeper to it all. Um, But ultimately, I created a YouTube network and I started filming all of the marijuana-related events that were taking place. 
And there was a man named Ken Gorman who was throwing most of these events. And I started uh, following him around, and uh, he became my mentor as far as the marijuana legalization goes. And, and Ken Gorman is most famous for throwing out joints at Denver's 420 rallies. <laughs> so you would show up to go, let's, and all of a sudden there's a guy throwing out joints. So it was a beautiful scene. But now we had uh, you know, famous musical artists have played the last three years at the Denver 420 rally because it's an officially licensed event now. But back in the day, we never had permission from the cops or from the city or from anybody to be there on April 20th at 4.20 p.m. And yet here was this guy saying, not only should it be legal, but I'm going to throw out free joints. Well, it wasn't long um, before that was causing some problems for some people because um, they they didn't think that that was the best way to go about legalizing uh, marijuana, you know. But back then, like, what other choice did anyone have? That was real activism. That was you would hold an event and forty people would show up. Now, five thousand, ten thousand people show up to these pot events. But back then, before legality and before acceptance, we were lucky to get three hundred people to a four twenty event in Denver, Colorado. And now I think they estimated 50 to 100,000 people walked through the 420 rally last year. And we also had the High Times Cannabis Cup here, which was an amazing event that, uh, you know, tens of thousands of people go to. So back then they told us, you, you guys are potheads and there's not that many of you and your market isn't that big and we don't need to legalize and... And then now you see what's happened with legalization. Our schools just got millions of dollars. Our DUIs are down. Our suicides are down. Our pharmaceutical use is down. Um, number one economy in the world, Forbes Business, just rated Denver as the number one city for business. I mean, there were people that said businesses are going to flee the state when oh, you have pot legality. Uh, the exact opposite yeah, well, has happened. So, sorry to interrupt you, but cannabis. Oh, please go interrupt. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, brother. Cannabis is the is the world's uh, largest cash crop. You know, it, it 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 literally it's America's largest cash crop, and California represents a seventh of the world's economy. And uh, California's economy is literally grown. With cannabis. And then hemp, I mean, God, hemp, you know, the fact that hemp is illegal makes me want to vomit. Hemp, you know, you can use hemp for everything. It's, it's the, the most nutritious food in the entire world. We don't need people to be starving because we can grow forests, you know, almost practically overnight. You know, we can make cars out of hemp. We can build houses out of hemp. We can run cars on hemp. You know, we can make clothes out of hemp. You can, you can do everything with hemp. So between hemp, which is just simply, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, the male version of the cannabis plant, essentially, and cannabis, you know, you have the world's ultimate industrial uh, building and creative material, and then you have the world's ultimate medicine. Yeah. And between both of those things, you know, where's the room for oil companies and pharmaceutical companies and uh, the logging industry and um, virtually all of our modern industry? There, there is no room for it because all of our modern industry is literally antithetical to human life and to human freedom and to uh, just peace, love, harmony, anything. It's literally we're, we're creating a hell on earth. And uh, like you said in your in your documentary about the perfect corporation, you know, if we don't 
seriously, uh, you know, revert back to the natural way of living, we won't be living much longer. And uh, it, it's like Jack Herrera said. He said, I don't know if hemp can save the planet, but it's the only thing that can. Right. I, I agree. And, and that perfect corporation will still be tracking our credit and letting us know when we're due next for our cell phone upgrade, even though we'll all be dead. So that's, that's <laughs> the point. I'm like, when are people going to wake up and realize, like, if we don't stop what we're doing right now, it's not even multiple generations from now. It's like one or two. So it, hemp, I, I totally agree. And I, I think that's why maybe we're seeing it legal now is that they've done so much damage. It, it, the lies are no longer sustainable for them saying, oh, we don't know whether or not we're doing damage or not. Um, and I will say that it's possible that, that humans may not have have done anything other than accelerate what's happening with uh, the poles shifting and all, all the related data around that. But certainly I'll agree that a lot of the things that we're doing, if we had just been using hemp for the last 70 years, we wouldn't have done this much damage in the first place. And we might not be talking about the poles uh, melting and the, and the glaciers being gone past the point of no return. Well, now that we're past the point of no return, Hemp's the only thing that maybe if we planted it by the millions of acres around the world, maybe we could undo some of the damage that we've done. But you're damn right. If, if we don't do a concerted effort soon, immediately, it's just not going to happen. So I love the fact that Colorado has gone legal and that there's a couple other places that are doing it. But it's really like the whole world needs to restore our lungs and plant hemp everywhere to serve as those lungs to clean whatever we've put into the atmosphere so far. So, Kyle, what do you think is holding it all back? Okay, well, so, um, I I don't know. There, there's, I have theories about it, and I'll share some of those theories with you. But right now, they blocked my ability to test for cannabinoid content. That's the main thing that's holding us back as people. Because what we learned was that um, we, we have an ovarian cancer patient that's now taken over 200 grams of the Phoenix Tears. And <clears throat> she's statistically in a really, really uh, low percentage of people that have lived as long as she has. And she attributes it directly to the cannabis oil. But the reality is, is that our blend is 77% THC and maybe 3% CBD. What everyone is hearing about on the news that's blocking all the seizures is usually 80% CBD and 1% to 3% THC. Now, we're just hearing about another cannabinoid called cannabigerol or cannabigerol CBG, and that one is rumored to go into tumors and break them up when nothing else can. But without the ability for me as a, as a normal Colorado citizen to go to a laboratory and test, um, I can't determine what levels are in my oil. So when we get a patient that has a massive success story and says, hey, I was dying and now not only am I not dying, but we have actual medical evidence of tumors shrinking and of other levels of cell counts normalizing in the body, we don't know specifically what blend it was because of the fact that they denied uh, our ability to test. <clears throat> what do you mean by that, that they denied it? Well, 
what got me in trouble in the first place is my uncle got cancer. That's the main story of Vitamin Cannabis, the movie. But we uh, were privy to a laboratory called Full Spectrum Labs that was right down the street from where we lived. And uh, it was a brand new cannabis testing facility for content. So when we made the Phoenix Tears, I submitted it to Full Spectrum Labs, and uh, we got back our, our test results for the cannabinoid content. Well, the next day, the DEA raided the laboratory and confiscated my sample, which I had inappropriately labeled the cure, which, unbeknownst to me, carries a, a, a five-year prison sentence for even saying that without having all the, the data to back you up. Um, so I, some people said they, they went in to take that so that they could nail you and these other 70 people that had submitted test results because, uh, well, getting back to Sand Creek Elementary, there was uh, a caregiver in Colorado who, um, was living right next to the school that I had first smoked, seen, seen pot at, not smoked it, but he went on nine news and said, Hey, I'm helping people. I have a big grow in my house. And before the news story even aired, the DEA had raided his house because of the fact that it turned out it was like next door to where the DEA agent lived. Oh no. <laughs> so that his name is Chris Barkowitz. And I, I believe he's been released. Uh, I don't want to say he has for sure, but, uh, he was given, uh, five years in prison and, to this date, he is the only person in Colorado charged with a federal cannabis crime. So we have legal businesses in here that are obviously in violation of federal law that those people are not busted. And when he tried to call them into federal court to testify on his behalf, they fought it and said, no, we aren't testifying on your behalf. Hmm. So he got five years uh, for being too close to Sand Creek Elementary. Um, and that was the big fear when that lab was raided is that the feds were going to go and nail everybody because we really didn't need to worry about the states. But happy 420 mountain time, everybody. I'm going to pause for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll make a point while you're uh, enjoying your toe. So basically you asked well, what Jason, you before you asked, what do you think is preventing, um, you know, this information from being acted upon in a rational and cohesive way in a way that uh, it would make a, a real difference on the planet. And the thing is, well, you have to go back and look at why it was made illegal in the first place. I mean, first of all, you know, this country was obviously uh, a crown colony. You know, England uh, sent, you know, quote unquote, us over to come and kill all the Native Americans and take this place for the crown you know, and obviously the, the whole American Revolution isn't exactly what people think it was at all, you know, because uh, all the leaders of it were Freemasons and they were all bought and paid for. And, you know, America wasn't supposed to win, quote unquote, win that war. And even though we're, if, you know, historically it said that we won the war, you know, the Bank of England got their central bank in and, you know, now and we have the Federal Reserve and we didn't win. Let me put it that way. Um, but the thing is that... Uh, there were points in this country where it was illegal not to grow hemp and cannabis. There were points in this country where hemp and cannabis, you could use it to pay your taxes. It was used as a money. Uh, this country was literally founded on hemp and cannabis use and literally – and before uh, cannabis was and hemp were made illegal – uh, literally the pharmaceutical companies and all of these different companies, it was just very common. It was always used and it was known 
that it, it treated all these ailments. It was a cure for cancer and all these other kinds of diseases. It was relatively common knowledge because it was just widely available. And actually, it was the very government that supported its use. So what changed was that ultimately, you know, we had the establishment of the Federal Reserve. And of course, behind that are, you know, the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, the Warburgs, the Schiffs, et cetera, et cetera, the 13 families, which, you know, primarily make up the Illuminati, which control the world. Now, you know, I would suggest that these families aren't even really human. Exactly. Uh, and, and so ultimately, you know, the word government simply means mind control, gubernmente, which means to control the mind. And literally, um, if anybody's read George Orwell's 1984, we're, we're living in 1984. And the whole plot of 1984 was basically that the whole society was on lockdown control. Everything you said or did was tracked, watched, monitored at all times. You were constantly being spied upon. Your, your TV could not be turned off. It was on at all times, and it was a two-way TV where anything that you were doing was going to be monitored by the TV, and there was constant surveillance of the whole society. Uh, th- does that sound like the world we're living in today? Well, this book was written in 1948, and George Orwell, uh, Eric Blair, uh, knew what was going to happen. He didn't just write a fiction book, you know, and it happened to all come true. He knew what was going to happen. That's why he wrote the book. And literally, there has been a blueprint to bring us step by step by step by step to where we are today. Now, if it weren't for people like Kyle and yourself, Jason, and me and Stephanie, etc., uh, we would already be totally enslaved and in concentration camps, you know, like a, like a Nazi lockdown style Fourth Reich, you know. But literally, um, in America, there are t- over 200 million guns. And so a lot is being done to basically destroy America and to destroy the world. Now, in 2011, uh, uh, um Japan was harped, and uh, the Fukushima nuclear reactors had a massive meltdown, and literally now the entire planet is being radiated. Now, if you have cancer, one of the common treatments for cancer is what, Jason? It's radiation, Radiation right? treatment and chemotherapy. Yeah. So, Jason, what does ra- – okay. Um, you know, we had Chernobyl, right? What happens? You know, we, we've dropped atomic bombs, and actually the, the atomic bombs were, of course, dropped in Japan. What happens – with when when humans are exposed to radiation, Jason, tell me. Mutations and you die. It's horrible. Cancer, it's really, really, really horrible. So why is the cure for cancer the cause of cancer? It doesn't make much sense, does it? Well, it makes sense if you're a Rothschild and you have a $200 billion industry that's literally uh, morally bankrupt and benefits off the suffering and destruction of human beings. And literally, if, you're, if your agenda is to control the entire world then what you have to do is eliminate all competition. Now, cannabis and hemp represent the ultimate competition to the new world order because simply you can't patent a plant, and it's called weed for a reason. It just grows and grows and grows and grows. It grows everywhere. You, you, can, you could literally throw seeds there, come back, and you know, a couple of years later, you might have a forest. I mean, it's insane. You know, when the, um, when the uh, troops were in Afghanistan, they were marching through, like, 20-foot-high cannabis forests, you know? And, of course, the reason we're in Afghanistan is over another plant, primarily, which is uh, opium, which is obviously uh, where we get heroin. And Yeah, course, why this- is it that under the Taliban uh, the opium production stopped, but now that all of our military is there, it's totally increased again to the point it's right back where 
I fail to believe that with all of our spying technology and our ability to watch things and infiltrate that we have no knowledge about what's going on over there, you know? Well, and you're right. We see Americans uh, with M16s walking through Afghani cannabis fields, Kush fields. And uh, I've talked to some of those soldiers that have come back and said that, you know, that over there they laugh. They, they treat it like it's nothing. They don't even think it's a hard drug at all. They know what the hard drugs are, you know? Sure they do. Well, we're, we're living in a society which is dominated by propaganda. Like I said, the word government means mind control. Now, if you're under mind control, you don't know that you're under mind control. And the, the, just like in the movie The Matrix, you know, it says, well, the truth is that you were born as a slave into a system which you cannot see, taste, smell, or touch, a prison for your mind. Now, that's the truth. They, they show us elements of truth through Hollywood. And, of course, Hollywood, as Jordan Maxwell explained, comes from, uh, you know, the wood of the holly tree, which has these occult principles and where they would make magic wands from it. And, of course, Hollywood is all about mind control. And so, literally, if it weren't for media and um, entertainment companies and news companies and politicians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, people might have come to their own conclusions. But since we've been so dominated by this uh, dogmatic belief system, you know, in terms of religion and in terms of uh, government, um, people lack the ability to think for themselves. Uh, it was Edward Bernays who wrote uh, Propaganda, which basically said that the masses must be governed and fought for because they're not intelligent enough to think for themselves. And um, essentially now with, you know, the the development of technology, like, you know, in the past hundred years, you know, we went from basically uh, barely driving cars and now we're going to space. So that's a pretty big jump, you know, and before that it was a horse and buggy and stuff like that. So obviously we've made massive technological leaps, but with those technological leaps, it's come at a great price uh, to the planet herself and to us as people, you know, and of course the animals, et cetera, et cetera. And literally, um, you know, it was Nikola Tesla who were in the early 1900s, basically, who came out with free energy. And, of course, his backer was uh, J.P. Morgan, you know, and under Edison, who was uh, working over him. And, and basically, uh, they, they took Tesla's technology and weaponized it, turned it into a harp, which is a weather modification machine and mind control. And it's, it's a weapon. And so, you know, essentially, we don't need to be using oil. We, we, we could grow all of our resources in, in terms of the cannabis and hemp plant, but that just doesn't benefit. Um, it doesn't benefit the elite. And so, therefore, it won't happen in, unless people ultimately say, fuck the government. All right. How do you feel about all that, Kyle? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's tough not to agree. I mean, I have young kids, so I hope that there is something that can be done in the long run that will um, actually make a difference. And sometimes I, I get hopeful when you see how quickly people get pissed off, uh, like about the lion that was killed in uh, Zimbabwe, you know, how quickly social media and everything spread that story. And it's like, even if the uh, mainstream media had chosen to ignore that story, it still would have gotten around to almost everybody. And uh, there are times when I see that things can happen a lot faster than they used to because people can be so quickly shamed into doing what needs to be done. The problem is, though, it's like Russell just described, is there's a bunch of shaming that needs to be done. They should have 
at least uh, allowed us to to try and do some of this stuff a lot earlier. And right now, they say the veil is falling. Um, we're learning about Tesla's free energy projects, and I've looked into three or four different people now on the Internet that have working Tesla machines that do generate energy in the way he described it. Now, if those things were able to get out into the world, it would change the world. And in five years, the way that Redbox took out Blockbuster, I mean, nobody thought Blockbuster was going to be taken out. <laughs> and what's funny is Blockbuster even had a chance to buy Redbox, and they laughed at him and said, you're going to be nothing. And then Redbox signed the deal with McDonald's, and the rest is history. Blockbuster's done. We all use Redbox, if we use any Redbox at all, you know? Like, most of us get it online and stuff. But I see that, that some things might be able to change, um, and there's hope that we still can link up even outside of the traditional media sources. Um, it's just going to be whether or not we have enough time to, to get to all of that. Um, but it's certainly changing and, and we're partially to blame. I mean, we film ourselves as much as they film us and, uh, we put out ourselves, uh, in, we want the TV that I can talk to. And yet we find out it's been listening when I didn't want it to listen, you know, like, uh, there's things that we, that I think are okay, but then when they're misused, it just gets, um, horrible. And, Here's the thing for me, Jason. I, I come from a family that has a lot of medical professionals in it. Me, uh, me and Christian Lorette, who did Run From The Cure, had a nice long talk about the ghosts in our machines. Yeah. Because while both of us were working on our movies various times, we would see our machines operating when we weren't doing anything. <laughs> well, well Kyle, uh, so, what I was, was going to say to you is that literally um, – Big Brother is is really big, and obviously, you know, even though at the time you might not have seen yourself as a threat to like the corporations and stuff like that, or you you might not have you might not have recognized that you were getting uh, unwanted attention. Uh, there's a reason that that lab got raided like when it did, and there's a reason that like you had the problems that you had. It's because you yeah. got you got on the radar, and they said we have to shut you down because you're you're creating problems. And what they wanted you was delivering pizza, not like growing and not helping people. <laughs> you know, they just wanted well, you as a slave. You are correct, brother. Like seriously, I've I've told other people that I'm like, look, they wanted me poor. They couldn't have me all of a sudden successful and making it maybe a sequel or or doing other things. They just couldn't have that because. They needed time to slowly release what turned out to be actual medicine from the pharmacies. That's where it's going to come from. The Phoenix Tears is going to be released through the pharmacies, through Big Pharma. It's, it's not going to be through us. Just so they can make money, right? It's all the money, yeah. And, Russ, to that point, dude, my buddy was aware of what they were doing like two weeks before I was. And they actually had to fly someone over me, take control of the radio in the car so I could hear it, and then angle it to, like, really make sure that I saw what they were doing. And I still was like, really? Like, really? No way, you know? But they, uh, they, they, you're right. They have more money than we think that they do, and they were more interested in it. But the reality is, and I'll just say it this, is that we were told for a week-long period of time that we were going to be arrested so everyone on that list of the lab was going to be arrested and we had people fighting 
for us to get our names taken off of that list of people to be arrested. And like Dr. Bob Melamed was on that list. There was all the dispensary owners in Denver were on that list because we had all we were all excited to finally be able to say, hey, our oil has this content. Our weed has this content. Because back then, you know, we couldn't. Sorry, go ahead. Sounds like Nazi Germany again. (laughs) so they specifically told us these big time lawyers were like get rid of all your guns and get rid of anything that you have that isn't uh that you don't want to get busted with let your family know who who were the lawyers whose lawyers were they they ended up being and i don't want to name names but they ended up being the the big lawyers uh not that wrote the stuff but that represented the dispensaries through all the proceedings of house bill 1284 and stuff like that so they they i don't think they were bad guys necessarily but there was there was a week where the either the federal government was going to step in and bust everybody and shut down Colorado's legality like they really were. And they were preparing to do that with helicopters and guns and DEA agents, you know, starting to come here to round us all up, as, as you will. And then um, something happened and the Obama came through town. These other senators started talking with people like me instead of treating us like crap. And uh, they started listening to what we were saying about how, like, you, if you, this is a black mark on you 10 years from now when it turns out that cannabis is a medicine and it does cure cancer. Because that's what I was telling the senators and the other politicians and people. I was saying, look, if you don't let us have legal cannabis now, when we prove to you that it does cure cancer and you're standing in the way of a parent that has a dying child that has a cancer that could be cured with cannabis, you, I'm just going to step out of the way and you can deal with that parent directly, you know? Enjoy, like, enjoy getting rich. Do you think these senators actually know? The senators do know, um, and that is back to that picture of how a jackass like me ended up in the governor's office to shake his hand right after he legalized hemp. And I'll tell you that right before that photo was taken, I told him, I said, hey, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard, but there, we were able to cure a couple people of cancer using this cannabis oil called Phoenix Tears. Just wanted to let you know it, it's happening. You have a potential cancer cure in your state. And the governor looked right at me and said, I've heard rumors about that, and I'm aware of it. So that was back then when he was signing it. But we were aware that he had been told um, about it um, a, a, a short time before because – Really, my buddy and I were threatening to go stand in front of Children's Hospital with signs nice. saying, yeah. let us try and cure your child. Well because done. Well done. And we had enough uh, backing at that point that we were able to call the media and we would have been able to set up a big, uh, you know, a press event. And we were going to challenge the DEA and we were going to say, look, you have one hour to come arrest us before we start giving away this Phoenix Tears oil freely to any child that has cancer in the state of Colorado. And we would add, you know, 200 people there blocking the way, and it was going to be this big event. They heard about this event, and that's during the week when this changed. And I think they realized that, yes, they could have busted me and my buddy and thrown us in jail and thrown us in prison and just made our story disappear like they did with Roger Christie of the THC ministry in Hawaii, that they could have done that. But A, Two months from now, because of Rick Simpson, God bless you, Rick. God bless you, Christian Lorette. You guys did this. Because they put that information out there, they created me. 
So without Rick Simpson and Christian Lorette, I don't know about the Phoenix Tears. I can't make the threats in Colorado to go stand in front of the hospital if you guys don't let us do some of this, you know. And uh, um, if they busted us that two months from now there was going to be another couple of jackasses that were going to do the same shit, you know. And if they bust those guys, then what are they going to do? They're going to keep busting everybody and secretly people are going to be illegally healing themselves? Well, the thing – that's even. The thing, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the thing is that um, what you have to remember is that the government, in order to maintain credibility, has to be this uh, entity which is perceived as beneficial or if, if not beneficial, at least um, somewhat benign. And as like just like you would view your mother or your father, the government essentially represents our parents or our kings and queens. And so therefore, you know, they may be uh, – somewhat harsh with us, just like a parent can be with a child, but at the same time, they love us. They put us in jail for our own good. They put us in mental hospitals yeah. for our own good. They chemtrail us and put fluoride in our water. It's for your own good, motherfuckers. We're giving you legal cigarettes and tobacco for your own good. We're taxing you for your own good. We're fucking having the cops rape your women and kill your children and kill your dogs and ruin your lives for your own good. We're spying on you for your own good. That's the these wars are for your own good. Everything that's allegedly, you know, well, not allegedly, everything that's being done allegedly or not is it, essentially the premise is that it's for your own good. Everything the Vatican does, it's for your own good. You know, everything that's being well, said. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's it's the red pill or the blue pill, Monster, like you said. Exactly, exactly. And and at some point, coming from the suburbs, I realized that what they told me in school about history wasn't the whole truth. And you, like, I want to believe in in goodness of people and goodness of government, especially because there are times when the government does good things, like setting up driver's licenses. I guess I don't know. I mean, I guess could we deal without those? Maybe, but. You know, there's stupid little things where you're like, yeah, okay, I'm glad the, that somebody takes care of this national park. But it's like other people would do it. I understand the libertarian aspect too. But um, it, it is a switch off. And for those people that will just blindly believe whatever the media tells them and then believes that whatever's on the internet is crazy, it's there's really – it's tough to talk and it, it's tough to um, – Find common ground, I guess. Even though there is a lot of common ground to find, it's just tough to find it when we feel one way, like you just described, and they feel like they can do no wrong. You know, like everything they say is true. And it's like, geez, all right, well, let's find some middle ground here somewhere, people, please, right? <laughs> well, the thing is that we're not, in general, you know, if you look at the um, human being as a uh, as an animal – uh, animals fit into their natural environment and adjust to it and balance. Human beings in general have been unable to do that. And we're not dealing with reasonable, rational, or coherent beings in any way. What we're dealing with, I, I like what uh, George Carlin said. He basically said, we're, we're barely out of the jungle on this one, folks. He said, no, what we are are semi-evolved beings with baseball caps and semi-automatic weapons. <laughs> I'd say that that's about right. And so what we're actually going through right now is what Terrence McKenna talked about. In my opinion, I think he was dead on the money, is that basically we're essentially going through a dimensional shift where what was will no longer be and what will be is essentially the stuff of dreams and magic and the imagination. 
because anything you can imagine is real. You know, if you can imagine a spaceship, then why is why couldn't it be real? You know, and everything that we were told was impossible. No man could ever invent, you know, fly. And then we have the Wright brothers inventing the airplanes. And so th- this, you know, the Earth is flat. Okay, now now it's round. Okay, you know, people. This has been this has been the trend throughout history. Is that every time everyone says something is impossible, it actually like happens a hundred years later. And so pretty much, uh, if we are going to exist a hundred years from now. The only way that will be possible is with a paradigm shift. And now what a paradigm represents, I, I like how Michael Rupert described it, is it's, it's what you think about something before you think about it. It's essentially stupidity in a way. A paradigm is a mental prison. Now what we need to do is free our minds, think for ourselves, do our own research, uh, find and ascertain truth for yourself. And literally, nature is the truth. The government is the lie. It's really just that simple. You know, if we do not honor our mother, which has always been there for us, will always be there for us, and we are going to basically try to manipulate and regulate nature and and make it illegal and ruin people's lives over their use of plants, then we're doomed. We have no hope. So we need to stop doing that. And like you said, Kyle, we need to uh, we need to do a 180 here because we're 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 literally uh, accelerating off a cliff. Now, I don't know about you. You know, a lot of people don't believe in objective reality and they don't even believe in morality. It's 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 really weird. But the thing is that there is such a thing as natural law. If you jump off a cliff, you're going to die. So whether people believe it or not, it doesn't matter. It's not – it has nothing to do with belief, like just like religion. It doesn't matter if you believe Jesus is going to come back and save you. Guess what? He's not. you got to save yourself. And we collectively as a people, we have to save ourselves. And the only way we're going to save ourselves is by self-governance. Now, what that means is that you are free. I am free. And we – this is our planet. And if we don't take care of it, then we deserve to die. It's just that simple. And so if we're going to let people destroy the planet and kill us and, and put us in concentration camps and microchip us and, and genetically modify our food and vaccinate and kill our children and we're going to force chemotherapy, you know, like you said, like the, the baby who, uh, you know, his pee was they had to have uh, gloves on because his pee was that radioactive that they, you know, because – the, the whole system, there's no it's – a, it's a draconian system which is uh, only enslaving us and, and killing the planet. And ultimately, the people running the world don't give a shit about us. They don't give a shit about the planet. They're going to they're gonna go forward with this as far as they can and ultimately just take it off planet and just sh- scrap this, this place when they're done with it. They don't care about humans. And so if we don't care about ourselves as a species, then we're, we deserve to die. That's my feeling. And, and ultimately, what is going to happen is that basically there is going to be a process where the wheat or the, the cream is going to be separated. And, and basically, the wheat separated from the chaff. That's what I meant. And the cream, you know, cream with the crop, whatever. Um, basically, people have to decide either to be real human beings and ally with the planet, or they're going to be leaving here very shortly. Because guess what? If you get chemotherapy, you're going to die. There, there's just no. It's the way it works. If you take pharmaceutical pills, ultimately you're going to die. If you drink alcohol, you're going to die. If you smoke cigarettes, you're going to die. If you eat GMO food, you're going to die. If you drink soda, you're going to die. 
you get vaccines, you're going to die. If you believe in the lie, you will ultimately die or have your freedom taken away from you for, to the point where you have no quality of life. You will just hey, become, Russell, though, I just got to interject. Like you're going to die no matter what. Of like, course, of course, of course, die. To die. I'm not. When I say you're going to die, what I mean is that you're going to suffer and die, and you are going to have a miserably fucked life, and that you will have no freedom, and you are just going to have a, a horrible, a horrible life, and that. Not only are you going to have a horrible life, but you're creating a horrible life for all beings on this planet. And actually, you're, you're creating the absolute worst karma possible because you're living in ignorance, which means that you're basically ignoring the truth. Which brings us all the way back, Kyle, to uh, where you were at trying to fight against the authorities. Right. So to, to bring it back, uh, the lab had just been raided, I guess, and uh, we were threatening to go protest. Um, at Children's Hospital or the hospitals and offer the Phoenix Tears medication to the people that we felt needed it the most, uh, which would be children with cancer who are receiving chemo and radiation. Um, and we, uh, we were just been told to get rid of all of our guns and get rid of anything else. And uh, so right around that time, uh, someone had dropped off an ounce of, uh, psilocybin mushrooms to me. <laughs> and, uh, I decided to quit my job and take them because I figured, uh, fuck it. You know, like, <laughs> good, uh, good decision. <laughs> if I'm going to prison over trying to cure kids with oil. Oh, and by the way, during this time, if you watch the movie, my uncle got cancer. We gave him the oil and it worked. Another guy got cancer. We gave him the oil and it worked back to back. So we were able to provide uh, some kind of evidence to people that it was working. Um, and that was an even bigger problem because here are these people walking around saying, I had cancer, now I don't because of this oil. So that they, were, they were flipping out. The authority was flipping the fuck out because of what uh, Rick Simpson and Christian Lorette started, which was this uh, giant snowball of the fact that refined the oil marijuana is a medicine no doubt but marijuana as a refined oil medicine is incredible like the cannabosum of the bible it's unbelievable you know and i can i can say from my personal experiences that it's 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 a miracle that's all i can really say it's just we're just so lucky that this plant is here right and we're still working on whether or not you can take one pill for three weeks and have your cancer eliminated we're not there yet that's what's going to be released through the pharmaceutical companies and why, even though we have recreational marijuana here, it's nearly impossible to find Phoenix Tears in a shop in yeah, Colorado. Yeah, you're, you're right. It, well, in, I would say in anywhere in the world. It's because the awareness is not there and people still treat cannabis like a drug and like something. They actually don't really see it as a beneficial thing in general. And it's still, here, it's still looked down upon in general. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no problem. I was just going to add on that that here at our hospitals, within the last month, we've had two hospitals start allowing people to give their loved ones cannabis oil medicines in the hospital, which is a huge turnaround because I used to have people that would have to go out to their cars, get everything ready, and then slip into the cancer wing to dose their mom or dad who was in severe pain and uh, – you know, that was wrong. They should have been able to do that right there. But now they're able to to give them the oil and the doctors are observing it. And we're not seeing any major problems with it. In fact, what we're seeing is that doctors and nurses who used to look negatively on cannabis 
are now watching a kid having a grand mal seizure being given a CBD medicine in the hospital and having that seizure stop and then having the kid not have any more seizures while the CBD medicine is still in their system. Second it leaves, another seizure, gives them the dose again, seizure stops. Now we're having six or seven medical professionals watching that in the hospital instead of that happening and in houses or on Sanjay Gupta's CNN documentary and that kind of thing. Um, and we're able also in Colorado to give them the medicine in the school. So there were parents that would have to pull their kid out of school just to give them the, the CBD medicines. But now they've changed and they've said we're going to allow that in the schools if the school board approves. So I'm blessed to live in New Amsterdam or Colorado, but um, <laughs> it, it, everywhere else I know that, shoot, you can get arrested for having a joint. But here in Colorado, that's just that's gone out, out the window. So. But um, that that week, um, back to that week, um, I took the uh, the mushrooms, and uh, my buddy and I went up to Red Rocks here uh, in Denver, and it was just uh, nighttime, and there was no one there, and we had our dog with us, and we let the dog run around Red Rocks, and uh, I had this vision of twelve thousand people staring back at me. Uh, at Red Rocks, all demanding immediate answers for their loved ones that had cancer. And I realized that if suddenly there was an announcement made, which they're not ready to do, that uh, cannabis does cure cancer, um, that there would be a lot of questions being immediately asked from people that were desperate. And uh, so I kind of realized that um, I went home and I Googled the numbers, and sure enough, there was about 12,000 people right now in Colorado that all had cancer. So it was kind of uh, apparent to me that they were going to, the authority was going to slowly roll this out, and they weren't going to make any heroes, they weren't going to make any major announcements that cannabis cured cancer, they were going to allow fast-tracked clinical testing in places like Spain and Israel to prove it first, and then they were going to release it to the public through the pharmacies so that they could control all of the money that it would then generate. That's right. That's right. So in the, in the meantime, people can still grow six plants here in Colorado, and you can make your medicine, but you don't know which blend you need for which of the there's 471 different kinds of cancer and the the phoenix tears seems to work on the uh ones that are in the reproductive glands the best and the quickest but different blends work for different cancers and now we're discovering cbg might need to be inserted to break up tumors that Traditional Phoenix Tears had shrunk down to the size of nickels, but we couldn't get rid of that last nickel of tumor. Well, now we're learning another cannabinoid might do the trick, and it's one that's never been grown before uh, in, in, in quantity. So we're seeing all of that come out of places like Colorado, but for people that have cancer or are sick right now, the reality is is that uh, we have 10,000 uh, marijuana refugees living in Colorado now. Yep. Um, the number might be more like 20,000. We're sick. just not sure. It's sick. But people that moved here because they weren't allowed medicines that would save their children in the state that they live in. So there's support systems here, but there aren't. Um, many, um, but we're seeing that about 80 to 80 to 90 percent of those people are finding some kind of success here and they're staying here. So um, 
the the city and the Colorado is growing so incredibly fast. It's 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 just ridiculous. But it's all because back to that week. Um, Instead of busting all of the people that were raided in that laboratory, they decided to control it via the state. So they had the state pass laws on top of laws. So <laughs> it gets pretty complicated, and you need a lawyer to navigate through it. But there was a time when I could have opened up a business for about $5,000, just done a norm normal business like a, a flower shop or something or, or an essential oil store. But then with all the regulations that the state put in place, it quickly went to $10,000 for a safe, $5,000 for video surveillance equipment, $5,000 for the fire department to come in and make sure that this is all good. And then I needed a million-dollar insurance policy, and all of a sudden it was like, if you don't have $100,000, you can't open a pot business. And now it's like, I don't know, you can't open a pot business for less than $5 million in the state of Colorado. So they very quickly, using money, pushed everybody out, and the same old people uh, came in. And, and I was making the movie while this was all happening, so I remember asking the guy who was making the 76 pages of regulations, I remember asking him, I said, you know, if this does prove to be a cancer cure, don't you feel morally irresponsible for what you're doing? And he said, regardless of morals... I have a business to run. That's right. And so that's how fascism works, Kyle. Well, it sucks, man. That's why yeah. I'm still delivering. It sucks <laughs> really bad. Yeah. But, I'm, I'm not too bitter, man. I, I mean, I, I have a beautiful family, and uh, I don't need a million dollars. I would have had a business, and I could have treated more people, which I would have liked to have done. But um, I've been here to raise my kids, and I always say that I am rich at heart because of the whole experience I mean, I was an activist for, for 10 years, um, and then I was able to be in the governor's office when he signed the bill that legalized what I wanted him to legalize. And I just I don't know if there's a lot of activists that got, got to see their whole um, their, their dream come true, if you will. So I'm definitely blessed and thankful. So if anyone out there hears bitterness in me, I'm just bitter that more people aren't being helped and cured in other states. Um, but I'm blessed to be where I'm at for sure. Well, and the thing is that, uh, what, yeah, you have to, uh, <laughs> sorry, our dogs, you know, being a dog, but, um, well actually, and speaking, speaking of which, I would just like to make a point that our dog, uh, recently, um, we just got a new puppy and, um, he had been given vaccines, which I never would have done. And as a result, he had been getting horrible seizures and I was afraid that he was going to die. And we saved his life with, uh, cannabis oil and, you know, cannabis coconut oil and basically just getting him really high and now he's better and you know of course feeding him uh, he likes a vegetarian diet and he's really healthy and stuff excellent man excellent and there's uh people are doing that in denver and colorado too so it's uh um we had somebody give a bunch of oil to a great dane um just to help out his hips and uh it really helped him out so it's it's sick and wrong that here in Colorado we're so blessed that we're giving cannabis oil to our animals, and meanwhile in another state they can't even get a joint or they can't get a CBD medicine for their kid with uh, seizures. So, um, it's, right, and, it's, I'm, and I'm sorry to interrupt you again, but this is what this is the point that I was making about the required paradigm shift. Because what has to take place is that people stop just following laws and start creating 
their own society and stop just blindly accepting whatever the government says is, is going to happen because ultimately this is our planet. And just because you live in a state, it's like, well, that's just an imaginary line that some rich dude drew up and is uh, ruling you with. So we need to uh, take back our own planet and think for ourselves. And ultimately, if people want to be free, they have to – uh, it's like Martin Luther King said, uh, that the oppressor is never going to just hand over freedom. You have to demand it and you have to fight for it. And, and, and truly, you have to be willing to die for it because otherwise, what's your life worth anyway? Well, it's uh, back to your point about karma. Um, the first marijuana arrest in uh, federally was here on Larimer Street in Denver. And uh, I just think it's kind of karmactic that at least Colorado um, was part of it, not, you know, part of the end of prohibition, the domino. We started the first domino that'll tip it over. Um, but it's, uh, we can protest in the streets all we want, and it just doesn't seem to do any good anymore. It seems like they have all the power and that they're not going to give it up. And other than uh, just, checking out and going and building an earth bag home and growing my own food and growing my own medicine, um, which they make as difficult to do as possible by making land only and and crappier areas available. Um, that's, that's what we're trying to do, honestly, Russ, because how else do you fight this power and live humbly for a cause instead of being willing to die for one? Because certainly for a guy like me with kids and, and with a future for them, I want to make better. Um, I want to see it change. I want to see things different. Um, but short of thousands of people doing that all at once, um, it would be really, really tough to do. And then, you know, they would mess with us if we even succeeded moderately in doing that. You know, I, I, I agree with you. And that's why I actually moved to Uruguay where they legalized cannabis outright. And now, uh, it, it was Monsanto and George Soros and these types of uh, interests which actually pushed for the legalization of cannabis here. And the reason they did that is because they're going to roll out uh, genetically modified cannabis and start testing it on the Uruguayans without their knowledge. And But the way that they've set up the, uh, the cannabis – uh, industry here. It's, it's fledgling and there isn't really a culture for it, but what they've started doing is they've basically, it's, it's pretty much they're following the framework of, you know, for example, Colorado or California where they're, they're basically allowing people to grow six plants. But if you are growing on behalf of a cannabis club, then you can grow six plants per patient. And so therefore, you can legally be, you know, once you go through the, uh, of course, as an American, you have to go through the process of uh, gaining residence in Uruguay, which, you know, they, they, like you said, they make everything as difficult as possible. But that's not to say that it's not possible. And I'm going to do my best to essentially create a sustainable community down here for people like us. And ultimately, I want to just because you have to start in a place where you can make a difference. And the thing is that Uruguay is a small enough country where I can make a difference here. And if other people come down, we can make a difference here. And by literally taking a place where there is legal protection and where ultimately because like, like you, like you were saying, cannabis may be legal in the state of Colorado, but it's illegal federally. Well, Uruguay is the only country in the world where cannabis has been legalized outright. And so 
as a result of that, people just kind of don't really care. There, there's not there's not going to be if you're if you're following the legal framework, you're not going to get busted or messed with. I mean, I'm not saying in the future, you know, if we built up that it wouldn't become a problem. But by that point, you know, we could be in really good shape. And so what I think has to happen is that ultimately, just like you did with your vitamin cannabis experiment and you, you know, you healed these people. What if it was done on a larger scale in a country like Uruguay? Well, I, I think the Internet is uh, providing some of the uh, of what we would have done. Like, ideally, we would have set up a thousand patients with the same disease that we're going to take this amount of grams of tested Phoenix tears over this time frame, and we're going to see what it does. That we haven't been able to do. And until we're either allowed to do that or until the um, pharmaceutical companies do it themselves, which, like I have stated, I believe they are doing, um, I just don't think that uh, they're going to let it you know, get out there, even though... Initially, when my movie came out, there was just Rick Simpson's story and there was David Triplett's uh, cured story about his skin cancer. And then there was us. And then I think the Shauna Bonda came around um, around that time. And we should definitely talk about her story as well, because she's one state over from me, does the exact same thing. Her kid mouths off to a D.A.R.E. officer in school. They take the kid, and Shauna's facing 25 years um, over cannabis oil. That's insane. I mean, she was at our movie premiere a few years ago to talk about her book, which is a wonderful book. I think it's called Live Free or Die. And it's just about her story and her battle with Crohn's disease using the oil. But... What a difference that imaginary line drawn up by rich people, like you discussed, <laughs> mean. What a di- what a huge, huge deal that border is. Because instead of me here existing peacefully, delivering pizzas, taking care of my children, living my life, she is now in the legal battle of her life. And honestly, they have her dead to rights according to the law. So. Pro- Short of a federal intervention where they somehow de-schedule de- de- it or, I mean, she, she's facing some stuff and it's not cool at all. <laughs> um, and it's just like what a huge difference that all all makes. And if the reality is, though, is that she's there because of her family and because she has people that their lives don't revolve around cannabis that – have existed there for decades and she wants to be around them and no one can blame anyone for wanting to stay in the state that they're in while they're using cannabis medicines or any of this stuff. I mean, it's ridiculous that people have to travel just to be treated. Uh, but you see the same thing for these cruises that have developed where people will go get, take a cruise and then have a cheaper surgery done on an Island that, is super expensive in America, but abroad it's not that big of a deal. And I mean, it, it's just. Uh, well, I think it's pretty common knowledge at this point that the uh, medical community here is is a total scam. <laughs> you know, if you have a broken arm and you need to go to a doctor, go to a doctor. If you have a cancer where it says ninety five percent of the time, and you guys, I know people that have had this, and I was kind of trying to say that about the medical professional thing. 
there are cancers out there where the chemo and the radiation give you a 95% success rate, and that lasts over 10 or 20 years. It's very few, and it's usually when they're kids, and it's very tiny, and I agree that it is nasty and toxic and stuff, but we've done it for 20 years, and I know a guy that was cured using it when he was 8, and he's 35 now, and he, he hasn't had a remission, so... There are certain isolated incidences where, yes, I would agree that a patient should use chemo or radiation. But for the most part, when you go in there and you say, Doc, I have a pain, and they prescribe you something else, it takes 20 million cells in your body before they can tell you that you have cancer of the lung or you have cancer of the prostate or you have cancer of the ovaries or whatever. So until you have 20 million cells, you're in pain. You have symptoms. You have the experience of having cancer even at 19.5 million cells, but the doctor isn't going to officially tell you that till you have 20 million cells. So should we all be taking cannabis oil medicines as a precaution and to be eliminating those 19.5 million cells before the doctor can tell us, yes, you have cancer of it? Absolutely. That's why I named my movie Vitamin Cannabis because it's a fucking vitamin and people need to take it as a vitamin daily and it needs to be a mix of CBG and CBD and all this other stuff. But right now the uh, pharmaceutical companies are working on patenting that pill. I'm sure it's going to be called Centrum Cannabis or something like that. You know, they'll come up with a funky name. I believe what you're describing is preventive medicine. Prevent yeah, but then they know that their industry dries up. The moment that their Centrum Cannabis or the Cannabis Vitamin gets released, 20 years from now, we're not going to see the diabetes. We're not going to see the Alzheimer's. We're not going to see the other stuff. And, I mean, just to talk about uh, 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 some of the vaccines, it's like we have autism. Well, CBD can undo some of the effects of autism, and I've seen videos where a child on CBD medicine has gained the ability to speak when before – he wasn't. He just had autism, you know? So we can undo even some of the damage that we've done immediately if more people know about it. And we saw the Epilepsy Foundation of Colorado go from talking shit to us, cannabis activists, to not only embracing us, but actually they have partnered with some of the caregivers to help some of the marijuana refugees that come to Colorado because they come here not knowing how to get this oil and there needs to be some connections made. So when is the Autism Society going to come around and say CBD does something for autism? When is the Cancer Society going to come around and say, but they make too much money with that stupid pink ribbon thing that I'm so fucking tired of. How many people have a pink ribbon on their license plates and don't give a shit about cancer? Or, I mean, that's your sum donation to the cause is you're going to put a pink ribbon on you and probably the, the toxicity of the pink ink they use – <laughs> causes more cancer to the Chinese worker that made it than the good you did by paying some rich CEOs $800,000 a year salary to tour around. I went to a charity event here recently, and I was fucking disgusted because they must have spent $50,000. They had NFL cheerleaders there. They had all this other stuff, and the head of the organization shows up in a black limo-type vehicle and has the driver wait for him right there, goes up and makes his 30-minute speech, and then disappears. And it's like, dude, you're trying to cure this, and you just blew 1000 bucks on the car, 20000 on the stage, 5000 on the cheer. You blew all that money. Bullshit, you're looking for a cure. You know, bullshit. Well, Kyle, I think, I think we all know, like all of us who are awake to this stuff, it's all about money. 
they're, they're not going to release Phoenix Tears or whatever they're going to call it as a corporate thing because right now they're still milking everything they can off the mainstream system until people really finally find out in, in numbers so great that they can't deny it anymore, and then they'll go and make money off of that. It's just going to be it's going to be the same thing over and over and over again. That's what they do to us. They're going to control it no matter what. That's why they're holding everything back and they're making you look bad and everything you've suffered is because it's not in their financial better interest. Of course it's not. And I mean, the thing is that like we're talking about cannabis curing cancer. Well, we need to look at what the causes of cancer are and the fact is that look in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany, they would put Jews and you know, not just Jews, there were plenty of people in those camps, and they would they would gas them to death. Now we are being gassed collectively with chemtrails, and if people would just look up and realize, like, okay, there are planes spraying these things, and they disperse, and it's like making everybody sick and making it so we can't like grow food as easily, and like all this other stuff. I mean, that all that's required to see that is you have to look up and have an open mind and Google, right. And how many times have I pointed it out to people and been looked at like I'm fucking insane for pointing out giant X's in the sky that obviously aren't clouds? Oh, yes. And yet I'm the lunatic for looking up. Like, God forbid I notice my outdoor environment and not be looking <laughs> at American Idol and Ninja or whatever, you know? Like, God forbid I'm not looking at the Kardashians for one moment to notice, like, a tic-tac-toe game being played in my sky. So... I want to talk about that for a second, if we could, because I saw four let's, of them let's, today. Let's, okay, let's, let's. so look, you guys are aware of the European Space Agency's swarm satellite data, correct? Yes. No. All right, so <laughs> the swarm satellite data, Europe is freaked out about the impending pole shift where the geomagnets switch and we might have three days of darkness and mm-hmm. Planet X or Hercopolis might fly by <laughs> us, wormwood in the Bible. This is all unconfirmed, who knows stuff, but... The reality is is that they sent up satellites to look at our atmosphere, and the, not only did they find that the poles are indeed shifting faster than they thought, but they noticed that there's a 15% reduction in our atmosphere currently, right now, today. So everyone's like, oh, the sun's so hot, and I've been telling them it's 15% hotter. We have 15% less atmosphere, and they look at me like I'm crazy, but... The scientific data is out there if you look at the swarm satellite data from the European Space Agency. It's there. So if, if, if there's a loving, good human element to any of the chemtrailing, which I hear all the time that the chemtrails are specifically poisoning us and they're making our farmland unusable and all this other stuff – but what if they know that uh, this pole shift's going to happen and they're desperately trying to keep it a secret and in order to hide the 15% missing atmosphere, they're spraying the skies over certain areas to protect the population from the DNA mutations that certainly would occur from 15 more percent sun rays hitting the general population. I'm just throwing that out there as a theory, but I hear the other sides. What do you guys think? Uh, I think that's fucking bullshit, dude. And I almost died from chemtrails, and so I would rather die than be chemtrailed because it's there's no quality of life when you're being sprayed with barium, strontium, aluminum, uh, mercury, other heavy metals, and you have nanotechnology, which is put in your body, which ultimately, paired with HARP, uh, you you lose to a degree your ability to be a sovereign, free thinking, individual, healthy being, and you become 
ultimately, this is the transhuman agenda, and they are morphing humanity from being organic to synthetic. Well, I mean, it's it's something we it's almost impossible to get out from under. So if we were really to believe that they were intentionally poisoning us, not only through our food supply, not only through our air that they're dropping apparently chemicals in and doing a great job convincing other people that that's natural. <laughs> because everyone I tell about it looks at me like I'm fucking crazy. Yeah, you know? everyone, yeah exactly. But, you're, you're right. Like, well, people have scientifically studied the fallout from the chemtrails. It's, it's barium aluminum salts as the primary constituent. Okay, well, there, if, it, if that would be reflecting sunlight back up and into the atmosphere, then it could be being used to uh, reflect rays and go back up. But I'm sure that they're loving hearing me talking about this and giving any kind of positive uh, thought about the chemtrails. But, dude, how much longer can they really do the chemtrails without thousands of people noticing? That's my question. Thousands of people do notice but millions of people don't care. So yeah. then that that would be indication that the pole shift is going to happen in the next four to ten years with this planet or whatever, and that uh, you know all the other stuff we're talking about is going to be underwater for the most part. Kyle, it doesn't matter because football is on. Oh, well, dude, I am looking forward to that, well, really. The, so. Earth, <laughs> the, Earth's flat, the Earth's flat anyway and surrounded by a giant ice wall, so who the fuck cares, right? <laughs> I go back and forth between wanting to build an underground shelter and hide from everything and grow all my own food and collect my own water and participating in society and living my life normally and going and getting coffee into the grocery store and stuff. You know, it's like it's the, that balance, especially when you have kids, like you don't want to isolate your children from society because you think that they're spraying the sky. But what are we supposed to do at this point? You know, <laughs> there really isn't anything. Yeah, so there we go. We laugh about it's, it's it. It's the air you breathe. I mean, either go to a country where it's not being done in as much uh, quantity, or that's it. Well, they're not they're not doing it in Uruguay, where I am, which is part of the reason that I moved here. But yeah, it's it's a giant nightmare. And ultimately, in my opinion, what we have to do as individuals, if we wish to survive, and if we wish our, our families for, to survive, is that we ultimately have to team up, collaborate, cooperate, and have a commune. And grow lots and lots and lots of cannabis legally and not get busted and not have any problems. It, that's, I, I'm with it, man. Well, as soon as we can, we will figure out a way. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm working on funding it right now, and I'm actually in a legal battle over a trust, which uh, my mother and my father created an irrevocable trust for me when I was like 11, and I was never told about it. My dad killed himself, and you know, since then, my mom has put me in a mental hospital three times because I smoke pot. Um, and she's now trying to take it away from me on the basis that I'm crazy. She's going to lose. I'm going to get this money. Uh, I, I come from an unbelievably wealthy family. My family uh, has collectively around $500 million, and you know they ultimately give it to the Democrats and the Zionists and all these evil uh, people, uh, and they don't care if I die on the streets. But you know, karmically, um, none of this is going to last. And so I will, one way or another, be able to fund a farm here, and you guys are welcome. Hmm. Word. We appreciate it, man. <laughs> yes. So but other than uh, uh, the constant uh, other conspiracy theories we look into and stuff, I have been tracking the patents that have been going on uh, cannabis and cannabinoid medicines, and it's amazing, guys. There's over a 1,000 of them now. 
And a lot of them are mixed with other drugs. So what they've learned is that cannabis helps a lot of these other drugs work better. So all these drugs that they knew kind of worked and kind of did this, they're now realizing, hey, if we combine this with this cannabinoid at this ratio, um, it knocks it totally out. And we can get rid of the nausea that's normally associated with this drug. So, I mean, I, man, they, there's going to be 50,000 cannabis-related products by the time this is all said and done now. It might be a decade. Kyle, who's making the patents? Um, most of it is GW, um, but it, it, it's it's impossible to track at this point, like who's all in who's, because some of the board members of various things I've noticed are on multiple boards. So there's some kind of tie between uh, Spain and, and Britain and uh, um, Israel and a couple of other places that are all seeming to be way ahead of the game on this. And meanwhile, like we're, we're cool with recreational weed in Colorado, but the real medicine is coming from uh, some of those countries. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of it. I just I want people to get better no matter what. So the quicker it all happens, the, the better. But like we were all talking about. So would this be global pharmaceutical corporations? Rothschilds, Rockefellers, you know, the Queen of England, et cetera, et cetera, Vatican. You know, there's reasons that this is not happening. No, I mean, who's these patents? All the all the things that are that are being patented that you can trace is this global pharmaceutical companies doing it? Yes, absolutely. It's not individuals. It's all the global. That's that's companies. what I was getting at. Yeah, right. But we yeah. have to we have to then ask. Well, the, most of those companies are owned by the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and those types of people. So, well, it's it's tough to look at who to blame. Like we can get lost in in the conspiracies that are probably true. I mean, that's the reality of it. Is that a lot of the stuff that I was told in the 90s um, about conspiracies and stuff, most of it turned out to be kind of accurate, you know? <laughs> so it's like nowadays they they know this and they put out false conspiracy st- stories all the time and Dis- they have people – Disinfo, yeah, exactly. Disinfo and they have – It's huge. Co- it's huge. It, it, they have COINTELPRO that follows up on people and they have uh, – Definitely, but there was they couldn't touch us, and that's like what I felt when we were doing it. Is I always we watched the Blues Brothers, and we were on a mission from God. Uh, exactly. And I just said, look, I kept telling my friend because he was more worried about the arrests than I was, uh, because they actually put men in suits following him around for a whole week, <laughs> and he kept telling me about it. And I'm like, dude, you're full, you're crazy, you're crazy, <laughs> you know, but. Um, yeah, they, they, uh, weren't happy with us for a couple weeks, but then they realized like we didn't have bad hearts and we weren't trying to make a million dollars and we weren't drug kingpins. And like literally all we was, do- all we were doing was trying to legalize cannabis and get it accessible for other people. And so, um, it, it just would have been a nightmare for them to, uh, to bust us and everyone else on that list. So um, what they would have done is, is actually validated what you were doing and turned you into martyrs. And so they'd they'd rather have you delivering pizzas. Right. Uh, And guys, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that my mentor, Ken Gorman um, was murdered in his house um, with a single gunshot to the chest over a drug deal gone bad. Um, and when he was, uh, murdered, it united everyone in the pot movement in Colorado, um, because we were all just so upset that it it had happened. But not only that, but Ken was a very, uh, metaphysical person, very spiritual. And he told a lot of the people around him, he said, one day I'm going to die. 
by a, a drug deal gone bad. They're never going to find the killer, but it's going to unite all you guys, and you're going to come together and legalize pot. Colorado is going to legalize weed first, and then you're going to you're going to watch as the dominoes fall everywhere else. You know. When was it that he was murdered? I think he was murdered in 2009, I want to say. It might have been 2006, though. Are you looked at as the leader now? Definitely not, no. there's. A, I, I really wouldn't say there's too much of, of a leader um, in the movement. There, there really isn't a movement anymore. Um, we won. <laughs> Would you want there to be? Um, no, I think that most of the people now are benefiting from going out uh, into the world and, and helping legalize it in other places. A lot of people work in the industry and made money off of uh, their related businesses that um, are doing well now. So, um, but uh, when Ken was killed, um, it just united all of us and everyone there said, we're going to do this. And uh, Mason Teaver was there, uh, Brian Vicente, um, Warren Edson, Rob Corey, um, Miguel Lopez, uh, Wayward Bill, um, Kathleen Chapai, uh, uh, Laura Creho. There was a lot of people involved. Um, I'm sure I left out some people. Um, Ken was killed in 2007. So we all met up at the 420 rally, and it was just like, okay, we're going to do this, and we're not going to give up until it's legalized. And um, we everything worked out the exact way he said it would. So um, we're watching the um, dominoes fall in the rest of the world right now as far as cannabis legality goes. Um, so it's a blessing to have seen all that. Um, and Ken's murderer has still never been arrested and everything he said has come true so far. So there's a couple other things he told me on a, uh, acid trip I had a few years ago when he, his ghost came and went for a walk with me while I was drinking a Slurpee one day. (laughs) Do you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, um, you know, the psychedelic use for me is spiritual and it's always safe. I never do it uh, in, in unsafe environments or anything. And I don't like, oh, let's do it and go to uh, an amusement park or something like if I'm going to do it. I'm going to try and do it for a purpose. And and so um, we had just been signed to do a movie, um, but I was broke and I had to move into the shadiest motel I could for a week just to like get my shit together, you know, <laughs> Um, no children or anything at that point. And, um, I took the acid and, uh, just suddenly decided I wanted to go get a, um, a Slurpee. So I left my hotel room and I walked down the street and, uh, I got that, uh, Slurpee. And as I was walking back, I saw this like Ken Gorman sitting on the sidewalk next to this alley that was behind the motel that I was living in. And I was like, I don't want to walk down that alley, but Ken like got up and I could see through him but it was him and he uh like tapped me on the shoulder and was just like I'm gonna walk with you for a little bit and um he proceeded to say that I was gonna make a movie and even though uh and that I didn't need to worry about money and that I just needed to make this movie and it would help somehow and that marijuana was gonna be legalized in Colorado first and uh, that then we were going to see it all uh, go down from that point on, and that I didn't need to worry about him or getting back at the people that might have uh, killed him or set him up um, to be killed. And he just uh, gave me a lot of, of peace in my heart about the knowledge of what was 
literally going to happen the next few years right in front of my eyes. <laughs> and every uh, then all of a sudden I felt his hand off of my shoulder and he was gone. I'm still a little bit tripping, but I'm uh, near my motel and I was able to go back in. And uh, that movie ultimately uh, we lost the funding for. And um, I ended up having to make vitamin cannabis all on my own without any funding or any help from uh, any of the film companies that had said that they were going to help. And Who was originally funding it? Uh, there was a lawyer in town that, that originally funded a different movie um, that was just going to be about the Colorado marijuana movement because literally I was showing up to film with a, a home camera no one had phones that had cameras on them then, so the videos that were going out were good, but they weren't professional, and we were hoping that we could put out a more professional story, you know? So he funded it for a little while, but one month afterwards, he, he backed out of funding it, so... Why? Um, I want to say that uh, it was just going to cost too much. Um, ultimately, uh, we wanted funding to uh, go to a lot of the locations that were around Colorado, and Colorado's a big state, so it, was, it wasn't going to be cheap to go to some of these places. So even back then, $10,000 for a budget for a movie was too much, and uh, he backed out after 1000 bucks. So mm. the rest of it fell onto me, and uh, suddenly... Um, you know, I got my job doing pizza delivery, but I didn't give up on on making a movie that I felt was going to make a difference. And uh, ultimately, like we discussed, it was just the threat that I existed and that they couldn't really bust me without it being a huge deal to them. Um, that ultimately, it, can, cannabis does cure cancer, and they couldn't deny that. And when I made a movie saying specifically that and only that, they were put in a position where they had to either bust us all or let us do it but control it. And now we're seeing that they let us do it, but they controlled the release. And they still haven't let out uh, the Phoenix Tears out of the bag. Keep in mind, the CBD oil is Phoenix Tears. It is a direct version of that. And the guys that are most famous for doing the CBD uh, is the guy that's dispensary owner X in my movie. So there was a time when we were totally linked with the CBD movement that ultimately ended up being huge um, because it doesn't get the kids high. But really, if your kid has cancer, do you give a shit if your kid gets a little bit high? I'm not talking high, they're tripping and hallucinating. I'm talking they're playing PlayStation for a little bit and then they're falling asleep high, not... You know, crazy. So, or, or they're able to eat when they wouldn't normally be able to, or they're not having pain when they would be massively in pain, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. People are people are afraid of getting high because they're afraid of the truth. To kind of wrap things up, we're we're moving forward with the uh, the cannabis oil story here. Um, I will be putting out a book that has the complete story uh, of all of this in the future. Um, but you can check us out at vitamincannabis.com to follow our newsletter, which will continue to have updates. Um, and especially check out the Shauna Bonda story that's happening right now and donate to her defense campaign if you can. Um, what's happening to her is a travesty and what's happening to marijuana victims everywhere around the world is sick and wrong and it needs to stop. Um, and if you're out there and you're considering taking the cannabis oil, by all means, do it. It will help you and uh, it will benefit your life in some way. And uh, thank you, uh, Russ and Jason, for giving me the opportunity to tell a little bit of my story and to try and convince people to try the oil. 
and uh, uh, take it as a daily vitamin, people. It'll it'll keep you healthy. Hmm. We have a, a movie out on our YouTube channel, which you can find um, by uh, going to vitamincannabis.com. Or my YouTube channel is uh, Capn Cannabis, so C A P N Cannabis, um, and we occasionally release stuff from there. Though primarily we're uh, releasing just text information at this point, as we're watching Big Pharma take over what was once an activist scheme. So, um, and I do update all of that in the newsletter as well. Um, but the movie is definitely not a, a professional. I'm, I'm an amateur filmmaker, but. There's some great speeches in it from uh, um, Dr. Bob and some other people, and there's some really good information if you can read through the text. Um, it tells the whole story of how marijuana became legal in Colorado, and the cannabis oil story is uh, is definitely um, a big part of it because ultimately, when all when all came when it came down to it, the fact that cannabis oil existed as a cure made them go through with it instead of uh, trying to shut it all down. Um, and now that the cat's out of the bag, uh, I just hope that people can get um, their medicine wherever they are. But if you need to, come on down to Colorado. We'll take care of you. Well, I, I just want to say thank you, Kyle, and bless you. And, you know, I'm grateful to you for making vitamin cannabis. And, you know, I just want to say that you're an inspiration. And I would just encourage everyone to grow their own and to produce their own oil, which they can simply do with uh, an alcohol-based solvent, you know, like even 90, even 91% rubbing alcohol. Like that, you can get it at any pharmacy. It's really easy to make. It's, un, it's, 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 it's criminally easy to produce your own oil. It really is. It, it, it is, Russ. That is a great point. Thank you for reminding me of that. And actually, uh, my video for how to make the cure using Everclear, if you just type in how to make the cure on Google, it usually pops up. Um, but there, my video on how to make the oil that we made in the movie actually has more views than the movie itself. So yeah, I know. I'm, Sick. <laughs> I'm glad that people are at least uh, watching that video. And I... I painfully take you through an extendedly long process on how to do it but um ultimately it's making the cannabossum the the holy oil and once people start doing this worldwide they'll really see what it does it's it's an amazing oil it really helps fantastic kyle thank you so much for being here no problem jason thank you guys i appreciate it thank you man